Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. I don't think people realize that sometimes, I'm sure you must, you probably do here, but may not realize the heaviness that God has in his heart. And um, God has a heavy heart. God has emotions too. He can be grieved. And um, we saw where Jesus wept. We see where it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And because God is awesome, God is full, God is complete, he's absolute perfection, it doesn't mean he doesn't get grieved and feel the things that he feels about his church. And I, re I remember doing a very gutsy thing one time, my first year in Dover. As I said, there was about 60 people, including children, when we came there. And we weren't quite into a year. And I stood before the congregation on a Sunday morning and I said, you, you know, folks, I'm not going to stick around. I'm going to go to a church that wants to win souls. I'm not going to hang around. So I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> I could have been exited out very quickly for saying that. But uh, I meant that because when my wife and I came to Dover, we felt like that God was the glove and we were the hand and there was a perfect fit there according to his will. And so I knew what God wanted to do in that town. Before we were even voted in, the Lord was showing us, didn't even know if we were going to be invited to come. The Lord was showing us ministries that we could do in this town, just driving into the town because we heard the church was open. That was it. We were on vacation. We weren't candidating. We weren't invited. But the Lord began to show us all kinds of ministries we could do in this town. And so, long story short, we were voted in. We came. And within a year, I'm saying, folks, I'm not going to stay if we're not going to go forward and evangelize the lost. That's why we exist as a church. Pay close attention to the title that we've had given this series, Be Forgotten. Because at the end, we're going to explain that today. If I get to the end, if not, hey, in a couple of weeks or something, I'm back, we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. But I, I'm hoping that we can finish this series today. So to, to sum up this far where we are, here's what Romans 10, 14 through 15 says. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As this is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been sent. The day that this church was built, by the way, your beginnings was 1955, correct? So was Dover's. Uh, Dover Church was birthed in a lady's kitchen in Lipsick area of Delaware. And her kitchen was the first official Bible 
Sunday Bible study service. And you know where, I don't know if you've been to Dover, but where there's Fridays on the corner in Dover, that's the Fridays. There was a tent meeting there back in the 50s, a tent meeting. And they were having a tent revival, the church was, and the church was in a basement. Our church was in a basement level. Had didn't have a top floor. You had to walk down the stairs to church on Governor's Avenue. A tornado came through, devastated everything around it, except for the tent. The tent didn't go down. And, uh, but they, they had tent meetings there. I actually, I, I should, you know what, I should, Brother Paul, I should bring the video. Um, maybe I should show you some Sunday what the video we put together that my, my son and I and the cameraman put together to show our church of where we came from. So they had, the new people had a history. They could get a little bit of history of where we came from. I'll see if I can get that. Is that okay, Brother Board? Members, is that okay? Thank you. And we'll look into that for you. Hopefully still got it somewhere. So, ladies and gentlemen, I just want the, the heaviness that's on the heart of God today. And if you feel that heaviness, it's because God's sharing it with you. <laughs> because God knows that we're here to do it. We're here to do this mission for him. The, the, the speaker you just had recently, uh, Brother Edwards, uh, he touched on this so beautifully. The reason we're given the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he touched on it in his message. And, and, and what we're trying to say is, is that our responsibility is to still reach the lost. I, 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 if this was my last Sunday, this would be like a last Sunday message to you. Because I, I just want to make sure that in your pursuit of who you select and in your pursuit of where you go, do not lose the purpose of why you are here, why you exist as a church. The day this building went up was the day God released his vision through you. All right? If I am not preaching out and reaching and preaching out in some capacity, why aren't I? What's holding me back? Please, please, please do not wait for the new pastor to come before you are reaching out. Lord, help you. The, the word of God was written to you, the body of Christ, not just to the pastor, but to you. I'm going to be honest with you. In our church, we have a unique philosophy. In Dover, uh, you know how leadership is the pastor, the board, the, the ministry team, the, the leadership. That we're not at Calvary. Do you know what it was at Calvary? Turn the pyramid upside down. The pastors were here. The board was there. The workers were there. The, the church was there. The community was out there. In our church, we believed we were here to serve the body of Christ, not be over the body of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job was to serve from the bottom up. I like a sign that one church had on their marquee. It said, put, they put on the marquee, pastors of the church, the congregation. This was on a marquee outside of a church when you drove by. Pastors, the congregation. Assistant pastors, the pastors. Did you get it? It was the pastor's job 
to teach the people to do the work of the Lord. And so at Calvary, we serve from the bottom up, not from the top down. From the bottom up, we're here to serve you. We're here to be workhorses. We're here to be shepherds. We're here to carry out the work of God. And I, I think the unique philosophy that works is that, is that the, the pastors are under the accountability of the church board, but the board is under the spiritual leadership of the pastor. And together they make a great team. That's the way it worked in Michigan. And Michigan's philosophy was a, a pastor was a, a shepherd over the church, yet they were in accountability to the leadership of the church because no pastor should run amok. No pastor should be on his own, own, own horse, as it were. And he, he should be, she should be submitting to the uh, accountability of the body of Christ, but as over the body of Christ spiritually to stand before God someday on how he or she led that body of Christ. So far, can I get an amen? Am I maybe, all right. Anyway, I don't want to get fired on Father's Day, all right? So, all right, all right, all right. So if I'm not reaching out in some capacity, why aren't I? And just how serious is this? How serious is this? I want to take us to another level today. And to do that, I'd like to read out of uh, Ezekiel chapter 33. And um, I, I want to make sure that... Uh, I made sure that this passage of Scripture is as applicable to today as it was the day it was in Ezekiel's day. Uh, there is a law of hermeneutics. It's called the law of double vision. This particular law doesn't apply here to double vision, but it does lean, lend a, a bit of help to, the re, to knowing that what is being said here today is for today too. Okay, we need to make sure we understand that. If the law of double vision says that there was something that God was doing in that day, but it was for projecting a prophecy for the future at the same time. So what did happen in maybe Ezekiel's day will also happen in the day in the future. It's called the law of double vision. It's one of the 12 laws of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of studying scripture, how to study the Bible, how to understand the Bible. It's a very in-depth, very powerful, very fun course to take if you ever get a chance to have someone lead you through that. So let's look at Ezekiel 33, 1 through 20. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Speak to your people and say to them, When I bring a sword against the land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make them their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but they did not hear the warning, their blood would be on their own head. Now, we're talking about a trumpet. Now, I want you to incorporate another element of what's being said here. We are watchmen. We're not just watchmen over what's in the church. When we walk out of this place today, we are his watchmen for our community. They just don't know it. But that's our employment. We've been deployed by God to be watchmen to warn people of what's coming. And if they don't listen to the trumpet, if they don't listen to the message, they will die in their sin. 
they will end up in hell. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. What does that mean? Oh, we're going to find out. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Did you hear that? So when the trumpeter doesn't sound that the enemy is coming, then that trumpeter will be held accountable for the blood of those who died because they didn't blow the trumpet. And if they did blow the trumpet and the other people didn't heed it, then they'll die because of their wickedness because they didn't heed the trumpet. Do you realize how serious this is today? We go day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Folks, if we're not touching this community with the gospel as watchmen, we are going to be held accountable. I'm going to prove it to you. <laughs> Son of man. Verse 7, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give the warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. I'm getting the sound that I expected. You could hear, couldn't hear a pin drop if you wanted to. Because this hits hard. But I'm speaking the heart of God today. I'm unloading the heavy heart of God. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. I tell you, when I think about this and I'm out there, I, 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 I work hard. Lord, what seed can I drop in this person? What seed can I drop in this person's life? That's why when us men go out on the Friday nights, when we go out, I'll ask the server, is there anything we can pray for? Don't I, guys? Is there anything we can pray for? I've given, we've, poor, poor Chris stopped bringing church pens because every time he brings a church pen to me, we give it to the server. It's got your name of the church, name and address on it and phone number. Get those pens that were given to you and quit using them. Give them away to somebody that doesn't know the Lord. So at least they, have to, they know where you come from, what church you come from, who to call if there's a problem in their life. Use those pens. Uh, folks, I can unload so many opportunities for you folks to be doing events every day of your life. Just one-on-one. -on -one. has nothing to do with events. has to do with getting that message out. And by the way, we've always had the servers at the restaurant tell us something to pray for. And if we did, you know, if we, we pray for them anyways, if they don't. I told you about a couple of nurses don't want me praying for them. And I said, you can't stop me from praying for you. They're so funny. These poor nurses are so funny. They think I'm not going to pray for them and they tell me not to. Oh, okay, I won't pray for you. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, then they not do so, then they will die for the sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, verse 10, this is what you are saying, our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Then he says, turn, exclamation mark. 
Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? This is how hard people are today. It's how hard they are today. Therefore, son of man, say to your people, if someone who is righteous disobeys, that person's form of righteousness will count for nothing. And Chris touched on this today in his Sunday school class. And if someone who is wicked rep repents, that person's form of wickedness will not bring condemnation. The righteous person, say righteous person. The righteous person. I believe that's everybody sitting in this room. Who sins will not be allowed to live even though they were formerly righteous. Now that's got to do with the ideal of not if you go out and you commit one sin, you've lost all your rights. No, that you go back into your sinful ways. You go back, you revert back to your evil life. If I tell a righteous person that they will surely live, but then they trust in their righteousness, say in their, in their, have you ever thought about what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? In their righteousness. We read the Bible through, I don't know how many times I've read the Bible through. I've lost count, but I'll tell you this. If you speed read, as I told you last week, if you speed read, you might as well not read the Bible because you're going to miss half of what it says. Don't speed read your Bible unless you have the mental capacity to remember everything you read when you read fast. Some of us slower people have to take our time to get it. So if a righteous person that will surely live, but then trust in their righteousness, and do evil, none of the righteous things that person has done will be remembered. They will die for the evil they have done. Now, before we go any further, what does in there mean? Listen carefully. In their righteousness. I think it means two or three things. Number one, it means... Be careful that you don't have your own standard of what righteousness is. If you and I have our own standard to what we think righteousness is, what are we going to do when that righteousness is not approved by God? Their righteousness, number one. In there also means... Past good living, good works. But now we have abandoned them. Because here's what it said. That they will surely live, but then they that trust in their righteousness and do evil. That means they've abandoned the righteous things they've done. They've abandoned the righteous living they had. Now they're back to doing evil. Inflated thoughts, number three, about what does in there mean? Inflated thoughts of our own attainments. I have attained. I'm old. I'm done. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. I've attained. I've made the attainment. <laughs> oh, no, you and I have it. I don't care how old we are. I don't care how gray, how much is missing. We, part of my English, ain't done. We aren't done for you English teachers like that better. We aren't done. And number four, 
what is in their mean. Putting my confidence in my own righteous things of the past and my own attainments. You know what the end result of this is? Very good chance that the, end of the person who, who relies upon their past righteousness and are no longer carrying out those righteous acts, you set yourself up for apostasy. And the Bible says in the last days, many will abandon their faith. You better look up that Greek word faith, scholars, theologians. You better look up that word faith. That word faith is not temporal faith. This is a godly faith, a spiritual faith. It's a faith that means trust in and reliance upon and dependence upon God. Trust in, reliance on, and dependence upon God. That means that's an everyday thing that we trust in, rely on, and depend upon God. That's an everyday action, an everyday thing we've got to do. So, in there, righteousness is a very dangerous place to live if you think you've accomplished all you need to, if you and I think we're done, if you and I think we can just rock into heaven and hope that we're rocking in the right direction when the rapture occurs, we are missing the point. And we're not necessarily going to be ready when Jesus comes. If we rely upon past righteousness. Let's finish this so I can get at least one amen. And if I say to a wicked person, you will surely die. But they turn away from their sin and do what is just and right. If they give back what they took and pledge for a loan, return what they have stolen, follow the decrees that give life and do no evil, that person will surely live. Now, isn't that interesting? There are times, you know, when you and I got saved, we just had to ask God to forgive us for our sins. But there are times when, in Bible days and today, God may say, but I need you to go fix something. I accept your apology. I accept, that, I accept your sorrowfulness. But you know what? I, I need you to go back and give back to that person that pledged of that loan and give back what you took from them and, or what you've stolen, you know? And you, you, there are some things that God may ask us that we have to do even when we get saved. Or when we come back to the Lord, we may have really hurt a lot of people. He may send us right back to those people and say, oh, Bill, I'm so, 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 so sorry. Man, I tell you what, buddy, I've been a mess. I just screwed up so bad. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, man, I had a rededication with the Lord. I want to apologize. I, I've, I treated you badly. I apologize, man. Don't be surprised if God sends us back. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden we're thinking we're just living like we should live and, and, and I hope we are, you know, do what we're supposed to do. And all of a sudden the Lord goes, hey, pastor, do, do, do you remember that look you gave that person at church? They, they, they took that wrong. You, you might want to go and tell them that you were having a headache or something was bothering you, but you need to make that right. You just don't know what God may tap us on the shoulder and ask us to do to make things right. Don't, don't, we don't take those things for granted. You know, some, I, I hate to tell you this, but there are some Christians, they just think, they just think they can live as they please, do what they want. One of my good friends is a retired state trooper. <laughs> he said, I had to stop a lady one time, Pastor. 
And boy, she was letting me have it. She was a preacher. And she was giving it to me up one side, down the other. Not cussing, just, son, I'm a preacher. And he said, I had to take her out of the car and handcuff her. She was so bad. Because she felt entitled. A good a friend of mine was a, uh, I didn't know him very well, but he was an officer in Harrington. And he came to church one day, and he's getting some information. We had a man at church that was molesting children, so I had to give a, a statement about what was going on. And so he's there, and he said, yeah, I got to tell you, man, I, I, stopped, I stopped a preacher. Did I tell you the story? I stopped a preacher one time, and he was uh, speeding, and I pulled him over, and, and he pulled out his license. Oh, son, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm over you in the Lord, my son. I'm over you in the Lord. You don't need to give me no ticket. I'm over you in the Lord. I'm authority over you. So the officer said, okay, sir. He went back and rolled up a ticket, came back, gave the ticket, and he stuck the ticket inside of a track that said how to be saved. And that was the preacher that got the track. The preacher thought he or she was entitled because... You know what I tell the cops if I ever get stopped? I'm praying for you, man. I take the ticket, shut my mouth, I'm praying for you. I pray for you guys all the time. And I do. I do. Uh, but, hey, this is the time we live in these days. People think they're entitled because they're Christians. I'm not entitled. I'm not better than people in the world. Remember what I said. I'm not better than the people in the world. I'm better off than the people in the world because I'm saved. But I'm not better than anybody. Yet you people say the way of the Lord is not just, but it is their way that is not just. If a righteous person turns, verse 17, 18, if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, they will die for it. And if a wicked person turns from their wickedness and does what is just and right, then they will live by doing so. Yet you Israelites say the way of the Lord is not just. Oh, aren't we something? Aren't we something to tell God how it is to be? I know of preachers who get up in the morning who said, I stand before God, I point to God, and I tell him exactly what he's going to do today. This preacher, national, well-known preacher on TV, I tell God what he's going to do. I declare what God's going to do. Now, where in the world is that in the Bible? Bring it to me. You know, I always told people, if they didn't like what I said in the pulpit, make an appointment, but don't you dare come without your Bible. If there's no Bible, there's no appointment. <laughs> I'd have people not show up because they knew they didn't have a scripture to stand on. You know what? Let me tell you the time we live. I had a young lady in my office. She was in her 20s, and she had a doctrinal issue. And it had to do with once saved, always saved. And she did battle with me and says that, well, you, you can't lose your salvation. And I said, well, I said, let me give you some scripture. And all I did was enumerate scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, because I have a boatload of scripture to back up that you can choose to walk away from your salvation just like you chose to receive your salvation. The Bible... In the Old Testament alone, there are 60 if covenants. 
if being the major word there, 60. If you do these things, these good things will happen. 60 of them. 60, folks. 60. Covenants. Just in the old alone. You know what she said to me? Not going to believe it. She says, I don't care what the Bible says. I care about what I've been told. That is the time in which we are living. That is an actual fact that happened in my office. These are the days we are living in. Itching ears want to hear what they want to hear that helps their cause, that helps their righteousness <laughs> instead of the righteousness of God. They want approval for their behavior, for their behavior. And it's not going to come from the Bible. But there will be those who will give it to them, unfortunately. So, by the way, do you need a witness to this teaching here in Ezekiel, in the New Testament? I'll give it to you. You study your notes, but you can jot it down. Acts 20, 26, and 27. Acts 20, 26, and 27. Listen to what Paul says. Now, read the context of the whole chapter, but this stands out. Therefore, Acts 20, 26, and 27. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, does that sound familiar to what we just read in Ezekiel? It does, doesn't it? It, it does, because it talks about the blood will be on your hands. Well, he's saying, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Isn't that beautiful? Acts 20, 20. What is perfect vision for eye doctors? What's that one goal, 2020? After I had my surgeries on my eyes, I was 15 in one eye and 20 in the other. My one eye got even better than it ever was. You know, really? That's pretty cool. So, but I average around 20, 20, 25. That's my average now since I had that, those cataracts uh, dealt with. Now, Acts 20, 20, I call it spiritual vision. God's perfect spiritual vision. Paul said, I have not hesitated to preach the gospel to you from house to house. To you from town to town and from house to house. Now that is good spiritual vision. 2020, Acts 2020. You can't beat that vision from, from all the groups, the churches, and from house to house. I have not hesitated to preach the gospel. So I have a question. Think about this. Is God enough? Let me rephrase that. Is our enough God's enough? All right. We get something because, so, you see, what we think is enough in their righteousness what we think is enough of what I've done, when what we think is enough with what I've attained, where do I get the permission to just relax on my laurels, as they say, and just cruise to heaven? Oh, no. Hey, everybody still needs to be reached. doesn't matter what age. So is our enough God's enough? We get something confused. Here it is. It's not how much I have of God. 
Don't even, tr don't, please, don't even try to convince me how much of God you have. The question should be is, how much does God have of me? It's not how much of God I have. Because if I have a lot of God, then he's going to have a lot of me. I'm going to show him. I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to act it out. I'm going to carry it out, Lord. I, I'm going to go all the way with you, Lord. I'm going to make sure that to my dying breath, and I'm asking God, you know, you hear all kinds of things with people in Dallas, but I'm asking God, God, I want to be on this as long as you want me to be, as long as you need me to be. I don't want to go home early. I want to be here. In fact, I'd like to just be here when you come, to be honest with you. But in the meantime, Lord, you have a plan in my life. But Lord, I want to be here because I want to serve you and I want to work for you and I want to do for you. I want to give you my very, very, very last breath because you gave me my very first breath in my mother's womb. And I want to gift you with my very dying breath. So just to go back to something that a great theologian once said. I think it was Tory, I think, who said it. And I, I have it quoted as much as I can remember it. You leave church and you go back to your normal lifestyle and you forget to let your light shine, not because you are bad people. It's simply because you are not conscious about your daily life beyond the normal routine we exercise. Wasn't that powerful? It's so loving. I mean, he, he could have said, what's wrong with you people? What else did God have to say to you? He didn't do any of that. He says, you're good people. You're not bad people. We just don't have it in our, in our psyche. We, it's, just, it's just not in our thinking to be instant with this giving away of God. We, we left the dinner one night, and Vernon was behind me, and... Uh, I was, we were the last two out. We were just walking out, and he was behind me. And he stopped at a table to give one of those pens to a, a couple. <laughs> That's what it takes, folks. Give those pens away. Give something away. Give a word of encouragement. I didn't hear what he said, but I was, because I was leaving, I heard a little bit, but how great that was that he, he gave them something that, that they could pin on their their clothes and, and, and things like that is what leads into opportunities of ministry. Get, get into the server. You know, these are the things that lead to opportunities. <laughs> so let's fix this problem. Back to today. There's a reason for this I'm talking about. There's a reason. Ready for this? This, this is going to surprise you maybe just a little bit. We may... You may want to go home and check me out, okay? That's fine with me. Always check me out. Always say, everything I say, check me out. Get your Bible, check me out. We live out of 95% of our subconscious mind. Scientifically proven. Doctor, doctors approved. Doctor, people with doctors, PhDs, science, these guys who study this stuff. We live out of 95% of our subconscious mind. 
We do what we do because it's an automatic response to daily living and decisions. That means when we walk out here today, 95% of what I'm going to do is going to happen because it's the automatic thing I do because 95% of what I do is subconscious. We think it's conscious. It comes into the conscious to do, but it's already deep inside of us to do it. So we live out 95% of our normal daily decisions, habits, and practices. Example. When we make up a things to do list for the day, is it intentionally, say intentionally, is it intentionally on our list to be a witness? So just think of this. If you made a things to do list today, what did you write down when it came to ministering for the Lord? I was going to take time to read 31 things, but because of time, I won't. 31 things that we do daily. And in those 31 things we do daily includes, hopefully, devotions. And maybe if it's a Sunday, we get to church. And, or Wednesday, whatever. Okay? 31 things we do daily. Out of habit, we can write down 31 type of things we do. It's errands, shopping, cleaning, you name it. And in, in that scenario of daily doings, was it intentionally written down, I'm going to touch somebody's life? I ran by a philosophy that's called preps every day for years. Pray, are, relate to people who are in need, make sure that I exercised, right, P-R-E, uh, do reach out to people and that's for scripture and every day of my life to have at least five times at least five times I try to reach out to somebody in some fashion to touch their life either be a witness a lost person encourage a Christian at least five things a day of course, some days it was many because of the needs that were piling up. Now, I made it intentional. We, folks, we've, what we're talking about today, if God brought this church together, if God birthed this church together, if God brought this group together here today, if God has given us a vision for this church, if God has given us a job and a vision for this church, then, folks, it's got to be intentionally put into its DNA. Part of your DNA is how many people can I touch today when I leave this place? I don't care if it's Father's Day. It doesn't matter. It's lives at stake that need it. If we are not, you want to know why? If we're not, let's, we're being loving here. We are. If we don't, you want to know why? Because they now tell us, people say, well, who's they? I don't know, some experts. I don't know their names, but they now say it takes 66 days to establish a new habit. Did you know how long it used to take? Exactly. It is now 66 days. They've increased it. 66 days to, because, why? Because there's so many different distractions and things that are coming up. It's easy not to get comfortable with something new in our lives. 
Because we have all we can do, Pastor, to keep up with what I'm doing. How in the world do you expect me to take time to do this? Well, it's got to become part of our duty because Romans 10 says, How will they hear unless someone tell them? So, 95% of our choices every day works from the subconscious. So if we don't put reaching out into our subconscious, we won't do it. So it's time for a new habit. And I'm about to close. It's Father's Day and we'll get you out early and I've got family waiting for me today by the poolside. Somebody has to do it, right? And my wife, though, she's not with us. She's out in Colorado Springs enjoying Father's Day with my son-in-law and family and wife and daughter and family. So you remember the talent story in Matthew 24? You don't have this. Matthew 24, 14 through 30. Matthew 24, 14 through 30. You should take time to read it. Matthew 24, 14 through 30. And there was the story of the talents. And I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. You can read it because you probably read it. You know the gist of it. All right. You have the five, two, and one talent. The master leaves these talents in the hands of these servants to invest. And it's a parable. A parable means it was a it was an earthly story, earthly setting, but with a heavenly application. That's what parable meant. It was a earthly application. I mean, an earthly, real life, earthly type example, but with a heavenly spiritual interpretation and application. So you understand that. I mean, this could be the thing they could have done in those days, but there was a spiritual application Jesus was bringing them to. So this parable depicts our place, of, our place and service in heaven, in heaven, not here on earth. It depicts our place and service in heaven based on our faithfulness and service while here on the earth. Which means that when we die and go to heaven, we're going to be placed in service based on what we did on this earth. I ask the question, is my enough, God's enough? Where will he place me in heaven? What service will I do in heaven? That's what Jesus was teaching. By the way, the word talent here represents abilities, time, resources, opportunities to serve God. That's what it meant. See, God has given us all talent. What are we doing with our talent? Are we investing it? Are we using it? Are we getting things done with it? We'll be judged for that when we get to heaven. Read, the, read that whole story. It gets a little scary at the end. It gets a little scary at the end. What will I really face in heaven if I don't obey God down, down here when I have a chance? God has entrusted us with all these mentioned is used for him. All these things mentioned above. Abilities, time, resources, opportunities. All these are mentioned to use for him. Now, so I'm closing. A habit of caring for the lost and finding ways to reach them is what we need to get into. Have a habit of caring for the lost and finding ways to reach them. I can help you with bukus of them. Your next pastor should be able to help you with bukus of them. And, 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 you know, fill out. When you get a pastor candidate, fill out. Fill them out. Wait on God. Pray. Wait on God. Fill them out. Have their questions ready. Let them show you what God's laid on their heart. 
We must become intentional. By the way, if you're not satisfied with Ezekiel 33, if you're not satisfied with Acts 20, 26, 27, read Ezekiel 3. It says the same thing. Read Ezekiel 18. It says the same thing. How many times has God got to get this across to us? We're responsible. All right? And held accountable for the loss. So, okay, so pastor, what's, what's the reason for the title? Well, it was twofold. It was to say, the title was to say, that there's a lot of people out there that are the forgotten people. We don't think about them. We, we have forgotten about, that. we can't forget about them anymore. We can't forget about them anymore. They've become a forgotten people. Think about, you, mean, you know why I spend so much time on the religious people? Because the religious people think they're ready because they do so much good and they live by works. They're a forgotten bunch. We've got to let them know, no, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. I had a funeral on Saturday. Yesterday, I was participating in a funeral, and the pastor asked me to do the altar call. And uh, I thought that was interesting. He did the message, but he wanted me to do the altar call. So that's, that's up my alley. That's fine with me. And I, I didn't know most of the people in that room. There was about 100 and some people. I didn't know most of the people there. Uh, I, I knew the... Uh, person who had passed, a good man of God. But I give an altar call, and I had them pray the prayer of salvation after me. I don't know who got saved. It was pretty quiet. Some people may not have wanted to pray it out loud. I don't judge the heart. God takes that. He, they did it in their heart, and he takes that's good enough for me. You know, whether they said it out loud or they whispered it or they prayed it in their heart. When my sister was on her deathbed, I asked her to pray in her mind because she couldn't talk. She was all bandaged up. The only thing you could see was a couple of eyes and her nose. That was it. And she was on her deathbed. And I said, at least, my sister, I said, at least think this in your mind. And, and when I prayed with her to get saved, I saw tears come down her bandages. She got saved. She's still with us today, didn't die. Didn't become a vegetable, and the doctor said she would. And she is just got the great sense of humor she always has. And loves the Lord. She's in church this Sunday at Calvary. So, the forgotten. Here we go. Did you know what the missionary code of conduct is? I think, did I put that on your slip? The missionary code of conduct? I can't remember if I had that on your slip. Okay. Love God. This is what missionaries live by. The missionary said this at a uh, service recently at the district uh, campgrounds. Love God, preach the Bible, die to self. You ready for this? We are to be forgotten. That title, Be Forgotten, was really also about us. We're to be forgotten. Do you know what they mean? Here's what they mean in this statement. I must be forgotten so God will be remembered through me. So that God will be remembered through me. Ladies and gentlemen, when I walk out here today, as I said to you before, I'll say it again. I'm not better than anybody. I'm better off than people because I have God. Number two, I have to remember that I got to get out of the way so that God can do his thing through me. Let's not go out there and try to come across that we're somebody. We're nobody without Christ. 
That we're not offended by that, Dad. We're not offended by that. That's a sign of life in your church. Uh, but do you understand what I'm saying before we pray? We need to be forgotten in the sense that for, don't. Hey, you want to you want to hear some good news? Let's be forgotten. But always know he never forgets us. <laughs> but if anybody wants to be remembered from a visit with us, let it be that they remember something about God, about Jesus, about his word. Not something I am or I've attained. <laughs> Paul said, forgetting all those things which are behind, I press on toward the mark. Of the, I press on toward the mark. That Paul's admitting, I've got a lot of pressing. I still got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do, church. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement. Lord, your heart is heavy today. We're sharing that heaviness to our heart, to these folks. So that's your heart coming forth today, not mine. I'm in agreement with your heart. I want to carry out your heart. But it's your heart speaking to us today, Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that you will encourage this church in their future in seeking who you have to lead them and to seek how they can reach this community. They should never, ever, 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 ever underestimate their capacity, their abilities and resources because you have given those resources and abilities to them. You have entrusted us with talents. Now let us invest them into the kingdom so that people can come to know you. Thank you for all you've done. Watch everyone traveling. Lord, and may dads have a very, very special day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I just have one question. All the women got mugs. What does men get? Where's our mug? No mugs? Oh, you really? Oh, I was only joking. Oh, my goodness. I was only joking.